0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantastic co-host, Adam Frommel, but I do come bearing the third podcast of the week and one of my very good friends, colleagues, and just a spectacular writer in general, has agreed to join me for this third podcast of the week. Grant Hughes covers the NBA fantabulously, I might add, for Bleacher Report. Follow him on Twitter, at GT underscore Hughes. We are going to analyze and predict every single damn NBA first-round playoff series. Real original stuff. I'm sure no other podcast or NBA media outlet is doing that, so you're welcome in advance. First and foremost, though, Grant, how the hell are you?
0: i I i'm fantastic fantabulous like you said and very happy to be speaking to you about uh some playoff games this uh this last little run-up uh part of the regular season featured some some uh clandestine and not so clandestine tanking and all that kind of stuff we don't have to worry about anymore i'm ready to talk about games that that are going to count for realsies
1: we are for realsies that's the new yes that's i'm ready for it too I don't know what to do with the play-in tournament though. There's still one game left, but as we record this, the Warriors and Grizzlies, but like all the numbers, but do they just go into the void? Is there, we're going to have a separate play-in section for them? Cause they're not postseason, They're not regular season. They're just the play-in.
0: Yeah. Why aren't they just playoff numbers? Like how I don't understand. I think Van Gundy might have said this on the broadcast for Warriors Lakers. I think, or something to this effect. But it's like they aren't regular season numbers because it's not really fair to the teams that didn't play the extra games. They're just their playoff. Just put them in the playoff numbers. Who cares? What's well, my it's count, so weird to have them disappear?
1: My counter to that would be the NBA has enough teams making the playoffs already. And now if you're gonna have twenty each year that have postseason stats, in my mind, I'm just like, what are we doing? That seems too I inclusive.
0: Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This is the only problem with the play-in, in my eyes. Everything else about it is perfect.
1: I don't think they should count. They should go into the void, never to be spoken <laughs> of again. Like it's not on a player's resume. You had a fight to get into the playoffs Still, I would lean more towards putting them in the regular season, though. But Ooh, that's just me. I,
0: I, I. You know, can I tell you? Can I give you my honest answer, Dan? Please. I Actually, can you
1: lie to me? I like it. <laughs> at least lie I, to me when we get to the Knicks-Hawks series, please. Yeah,
0: perfect. I'll save it for that. <laughs>
1: Oh no! But can you be honest with me? You're free to be honest now. What was you gonna be your honest
0: take? I was gonna I was gonna be glib and say I don't care about the stats, but the moment has passed now. It's not. If it was gonna be funny at all, it's definitely not now. So we can move on. Ah, so you have a burner
1: that says I test Twitter with with one of those eyes looking at me. I got it. Exactly. I'm. You have given me carte blanche to lead us through this, so I'm going to take us through my least interesting playoff series to what I deem the most interesting. And I didn't order these beforehand. I did a ton of research on the series, but I'm ordering them right off the cuff as to what I'm interested in. My one that I don't not that I don't care about it because I'm gonna watch everything. but Sixers and Wizards is kind of kind of decidedly not interesting to me uh, unless you still think the the rush Joel and bead beef will rehash. But what is the the biggest thing you're watching for biggest impression of of this matchup, knowing that you've only had, well, let's give the Wizards some credit. They they annihilated the Pacers. So you've been thinking about it for more than two minutes, but in the in the eight minutes you've been thinking about it.
0: Well, I it, assuming that that would be the matchup when I was putting notes together for this earlier today. I, I do only have one note on it, and and it's the words are total destruction, and it's Philly <laughs> four, and and like I, the my main thing is, you know, the it's an oversimplification, but the the Wizards are a two man operation, and both those guys. I mean, you know, looked better tonight, uh, but I would say both are somewhat compromised. It's unclear to me what's going on with Westbrook. Um, I, 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 I don't know if they, they said anything during the broadcast tonight when I was sort of checked out after halftime, but um, he doesn't look healthy, and he looked just awful in the first first game. Beal's hamstring is a thing, but then the real issue to me is that you have Ben Simmons to guard one of them. Or, or 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 whoever the the Sixers need him to guard, and then you have Tybull to you know for the twenty-ish minutes he's going to play to just cause problems. Um, I just don't see a way for one the Wizards to score consistently uh, because the with Embiid in the paint that's that's not an option. Westbrook's not going to play bully ball like he did against the Pacers a little bit tonight um and so i just don't know where the points come from and then really on the other end like daniel gafford's a nice story and robin lopez is a you know a stalwart guy in the middle but embiid's just going to eat everybody up you know it's 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 a 1 versus 8 like i don't i don't know where the intrigue really is beyond um how, how are the wizards two best players going to get anything going
1: i am with everything you said there if i was to play devil's advocate where can washington maybe frustrate philly i do wonder if having daniel gafford and robin lopez to I think you you probably have to mirror Robin Lopez's minutes with Joel Embiid or pretty closely, right? That's the, I know Daniel Gaffer's been great, but I think you'd prefer Lopez on Embiid. I feel like those two can at least provide a facsimile of life's a little bit difficult on Embiid, but just given what he's done on the perimeter, then it's sort of along the lines of okay, that how much does that not work out? I even tried to look at it from the the view of Philly's half court offense because Washington has defended better defensively over the past two months or whatever it's been, but the Sixers are and when I looked this up I was I knew it was good but I was surprised it was this high their half court offense when Simmons and Embiid are on the court this season the 92nd percentile of efficiency which is yeah. wild and I sort of debunks what my count my counter my attempted counterpoint would be okay if you can bog them down a little bit maybe that gives you a chance I think this the focus that's been paid to can Philly score in the situations that matter most There's been too much attention actually paid to it because they can. And even if Simmons concerns you, which I think, you know, fair. Mm And Bede has been on another level this year with his shot making from the perimeter. To say that they don't have that conventional crunch time weapon, it's at once true, but also false because you don't need him with the way that Joel Embiid is playing right now.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's really interesting big picture for the Sixers uh, because like if yeah like you said if you were to have isolated what's your number one I probably did this at some point this year I just can't remember if you had to isolate what is your what is a concern that you know might come back to bite each team in a playoff series and like yeah you, you know the numbers are what they are but I think it would have been still fair to say like how are the Sixers going to score in crunch time against a defense that has seen them five games in a row or whatever it is and and Ben Simmons is on the floor. Like that still to me is a legitimate concern, even though the numbers are good. But that's a huge deal uh, if if that is just no longer an issue. Because then, you know, in terms of poking holes in the Sixers, you're really just sort of left with, well, Joel Embiid, you know, can't stay healthy. Cause which is just that's not even that's that's an issue for injury is a concern for every best player on every playoff team. So that's a big deal. I, I would say that if the Sixers don't sweep, um, it's a disappointment, and because the sort of Embiid health issue is always going to sort of hang over the team, if you have to mess around an extra game or two against the team you should have just stomped, I think that's significant. So it, it does behoove the Sixers to just really, you know, not mess around in this series.
1: It's significant, but it's also. They're going to play the Hawks or the Knicks in the second round, so they don't have to worry about Milwaukee or Brooklyn to the conference finals. So they kind of can screw around without there being imminent payback. If they had to face one of those teams next, I would totally agree. For Washington, I don't want to dump a of them. You have, if Beal and Russell Westbrook are right, that's a big-ass what-if at the moment. They have real talent at the top to where you, do they have two of the three best players in this series, depending on how you feel about Ben Simmons? In a vacuum, I'd probably still say no. Uh, Beal might be the the second best or the, can be the single best player in the series. But I do think both Russ and Beal are capable of being two of the three best players in the series. That helps them a ton. I I do think they can at least get Philly's defense sort of moving, depending on how much they rely on Garrison Matthews. I did wonder if it would help, should the Sixers rely on matisse Thiebel more than they did during the regular season? Does that put any extra pressure on their offense to where it gives Washington just some opportunities to come out? But I, even, I, I filtered out the data, and this isn't the end-all be-all, but like The Sixers' half-court offense with Simmons, Thibault, and Embiid on the court, 89th percentile of efficiency this year. And so I find myself struggling to get concerns. And I wanted to ask you if you had an X-factor for this series. I think mine would be, for the Sixers, I'd probably throw it as Tobias Harris just in case Simmons can be—I don't know if he's too high-profile, but if he gets a little solved a little bit uh, on offense, you're going to need Tobias Harris then to score a ton. And then for the Wizards, I wanted—is it Rui Hachimura? Like, is he going to have the the hardest defensive workload here? I guess you could say it's Robin Lopez or Len or Gafford, or depending on how they split the minutes against Joel Embiid. But they don't. Who is their best perimeter defender? Is it it's, is it Isak Banga? Is it Hachimura? Is it Chandler Hutchinson? Like that's that's where we're at. Oh, Harul Neto? Is it is it him?
0: I, I don't have an answer for who their best perimeter defender is. I mean, like it's yeah, it, that that's a problem. I I do agree with you on on Harris though. We didn't even we didn't even mention him until just now. Like there's a scenario where he wins the Sixers a game. You know, he's the, he's not gonna be he's not in the conversation as the best three or four. You know, third or fourth best player in the series. But if he has like a thirty six point, you know, whatever, a thirty six point game, and that wins the Sixers a game you know the the Wizards again it's a 1 versus 8 so of course this is the case the Wizards don't have the luxury of their third option or whatever he is relative to Simmons but sort of an auxiliary player winning them a game that's just you know that's just not on the table for them
1: what would be your prediction for the series
0: i think it's a sweep I, I think it has to be Sixers and you know if it like five is as long as it could possibly go in my imagination especially because uh, again, we the the Beal hamstring is is if he's if Beal is compromised at all or significantly, I just don't I don't know where the points come from.
1: Maybe the X factor is his hamstring because if yeah. if you have Embiid waiting in the paint for Russell Westbrook, you need everything that Beal does infinitely more. Yep, I'm going Agreed. Sixers and five just because I think Beal Russell Westbrook get them at least a game, <laughs> and there's maybe there's a a game where Davis Bertans goes supernova. Mm. So I just don't think it's going to be competitive. I also don't think this next series is going to be very competitive. Uh, my second choice would be the Celtics versus the Nets. That is the the 2v7 in the East. Thoughts, general impressions, key things to watch for this one?
0: So I, I think... I don't know if I was talking to you about this, but I think that Boston... I, I lump Boston and Miami together a little bit, and it's, you know, something... They're not very much alike, but I just in the sense that I believe in them more as playoff teams and regular season teams. I believe in their coaching. I believe in their versatility, their experience, like that whole thing. I think that's worth something. Um, and Tatum, you know, to a much greater degree than even someone, say, like Beal, I think, he's he has the ability to be the best player on the floor in a game that also includes Durant and Harden and Irving. He's not the best player in the series, but he he can have that game or two where they just can't do anything with them, and it's not like the Nets have great defensive wing options. I get, I don't know what they'll do with him, Bruce Brown maybe, or uh, someone I'm forgetting. Um, but I, I think, I think the Nets will win that series. The, the hesitation I have, in addition to the Tatum and liking Boston a little bit more than maybe I should, is that I still, and this may be an anchoring thing because I sort of have been hesitant to buy the Nets from the jump. Um, I thought like you know. Steve Nash was in for just a miserable ride as coach of this team. I felt bad for him. I've been mostly wrong the whole way. You know, James Harden can't play a different way. Yes, he can. I was wrong about that. Uh, Durant is going to be diminished. No, he's not. Um, I think my hesitancy to say this is just a similar level of walkover as Philly Washington is that I still just don't know. I don't know. I think that the Nets have the potential to be absolutely dominant. There are a lot of statistical indicators that, when they're healthy and they have all their guys, they just are. But I just have—I haven't seen it. I still just envision ways for this to go wrong. Whether that's Harden's hamstring acting acting up, whether that's Durant not making it through the series, uh, whether that's Irving going cold for whatever reason. There's just there's just enough uncertainty about a team that's obviously super talented for me to think. And I mean, I'll just, I guess I can give you my pick now. Uh I, I think the Nets win it, but I think it could go six. Um So I, I have a lot of faith in Boston and I'm still just a little uncertain about the Nets.
1: I guess this would be the team that Boston matches up with. Well, defensively better than people might expect without Jalen Brown, just to have Marcus smart. And then Jason Tatum gives you two guys that can go after two of the the three stars in Brooklyn. I don't know what is the answer for the third one is just who are you, who is like, you know, let's assume Tatum gets a ton of time on Durant. Let's make that the assumption. Marcus smart probably toggles between James Harden and Kyrie. Do you, do you attach him to James Harden? And then, but who's the third most important effect? I just, that's the problem. The math never works out when it comes to defending Brooklyn. And let's not forget Joe Harris exists. He has been just the quintessential superstar accessory for the Nets. They haven't played a ton of time together, those four, under 300 possessions. Their offensive rating in that span, though, is 129.2. The thing that also worries me, for Boston specifically, is there's the element of how much does it matter how well you match up defensively with Brooklyn. By going uh, among all high-volume ISO guys or medium-volume ISO guys, the Nets have three of the top ten by efficiency, with Harden, Irving, and Kevin Durant. That's just so much firepower. I don't know that I have the Nets coming out of the East right now. My inclination would be no. My official pick as of right now for the entire East would be no. This feels like a situation where, to me, that they will steamroll Boston. I'd be a lot more intrigued by it if they had Jalen Brown. They do have questions, though, defensively. Just, I, you know, the, the small minutes they've played with their big four or their, their four top guys, they've actually been fine defensively. does that hold up? Who is your five when it matters most? I think it'll be Jeff Green, but you mentioned Bruce Brown. Nick Claxton is my X factor because maybe that's the wrong pick for this series because which Boston big is going to scare you. Maybe if they go with Grant Williams at the five and they downsize, that makes you a little bit worried. But they switch so much. The Nets uh, per synergy switch the second most among all defenses this year. And I believe he's super important to that more so than even a Jeff Green or a Bruce Brown. Maybe that's for something in later series though. To really be concerned about. My pick would be Brooklyn in four here. Ooh. I think, okay. I mean, are they maybe they'll load manage their guys throughout the series. I wouldn't put it past <laughs> this team. There's, I could easily just go five, but when I'm this much in on Brooklyn and sort of as low as I am on Boston, I think I need, I'm just going to lean into the sweep. And, you know, Boston is going to have weaker points on defense for Brooklyn to attack as well. It's just how many times are they going to go after Evan Fournier a game? And you can't take, he's my X factor for Boston. You need, that other scorer who can both play off others and generate his own shot. Now that Jalen Brown isn't there, there's Kemba, there's Jason Tatum, but the Celtics kind of had the issue with residual scoring to begin with. Uh, It has to be Evan Fournier now. So how do you, can you take him off the floor if he's getting killed on defense? This feels like the sweep opportunity in the first round to me.
0: Yeah, I think, I think to your point, uh, that, I 100% agree on Claxton, by the way. Like, he's going to matter. I don't know if it'll be this series. But but I think in a, the, best, the best case scenario for Boston is to play a team that plays a lot of drop coverage with a conventional big, because then maybe in addition to Tatum, you get some good Kemba Walker games where he hits five or six threes off the dribble. Um, that's not, I don't think, unless for some reason the Nets abandon all of their switching, I think they'll probably switch more and play DeAndre Jordan a lot, and he drops... It's going to be really hard for Walker to get going, especially like he's just—I don't know—he's looked okay in spurts, but he's just—he's not someone that's going to break down a mismatch. And if the Nets—if the mismatch, quote unquote—is Bruce Brown as your sort of pseudo center switching out, then that's just a non—that's—that's a tough one for him. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going on faith, but—but I again, I wouldn't—it wouldn't shock me if the the Nets have the talent to just—if they blew any of these teams out and just. Walked over him in four. You would kind of look back and say, "Well, yeah, they have Durant, Harden, and Irving. Of course they did." But I'm I'm holding out some faith that Brad Stevens will will do something magical and Tatum will get another, you know, throw throw a fifty five pointer in there for a game or two.
1: Does your impression change if Robin if Ro- Robin if Robert Williams isn't able to play?
0: <sighs> Not really, because I don't think this is a series for him. yeah you know, I. You know what I do wish is, Dan, if that is the Daniel Tice was still on the Celtics, he makes a lot more sense in in a series like this than than kind of your conventional you lock.
1: He makes more sense on the Celtics than has luxury tax evading fodder. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. That surprises me. So you had the <laughs> you had Nets in six. I have yeah. I have Nets in four. I don't think this is the series that you're going to be expecting me to go to next. I just can't drum up the level of interest in it that I think other people are going to have. And I'm also assuming that we get Warriors-Jazz, which will intrigue me more than this one. I have the 4v5 matchup in the West of Clippers-Mavericks. I know people want to sort of build it up because of what it was last year, especially before the Kristaps-Porzingis injury. I I think the Clippers are just—I want to hear your thoughts first, but I just think they're— I can't get a hold on them, and I don't trust them. And it's not just because of what we saw last season. It's just even this season, whenever you're ready to believe in them, something happens in crunch time, or the defense gets weird, or the shot-making is bizarre. I think they're just so much better than the Mavericks, and I've been, you know, they are fifth in the West, so give the Mavericks credit. I've just been so low on the Mavericks relative to the consensus because they are Luka Doncic, and I don't, you know, Jalen Brunson, Tim Hardaway Jr., fringe six-man-of-the-year candidates, great, grand, wonderful they just don't have the number two guy. They don't have that secondary shot creator.
0: Yeah, strong agree. I, I think a couple things like the one man operation is a really tough thing to pull off in the playoffs, and and very few teams are. You know, you might cite say the Blazers as well. If Damian Lillard doesn't get off, that's a problem. But they have McCollum. They they have other ways other ways to go. Unless you are a big Porzingis believer, and I don't know why you would be really in, in a significant way after the season. It's just Doncic and. The Clippers have the wing side, the big wings to at least just be in his way or make him beat you with a bunch of step backs. The thing, like I mean, it's the Clippers are thirty-two and eleven in games that George and Leonard both played, plus seventeen point five in the minutes with them on the floor together. I mean, that will be a significant portion of all of these games that they will have both of them out there. And it's not like they've, you know, the rotation falls off a cliff on guys six through nine on that team. There's going to be bodies that they can, you know, really credibly put out there and not give, give those that massive net rating advantage back. Um I think, I think just Dallas is a little worse than it was last year. And I think, i I don't think it's crazy to say the clippers are at least as good as they were last year, and that's assuming they've they're gonna tighten up in a good way and sort of not allow whatever all that was last year that 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 did them in. I do think if you're looking for ways to poke holes in the clippers, you just you gotta go with the well they it's all the old cliche stuff well, they really depend on making jumpers, but i I think that's that's not even a valid criticism really anymore because they have the guys that just make jumpers, and it's not like yeah yeah, I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to come up with semi-defensible reasons to not think this is a pretty short series for the Clippers. Yeah, that would be
1: for the Mavericks looking through at the Clippers on what could happen that would help Dallas. There's high variance in their shot selection for sure, but they've since that since Abaco was injured, they've been getting to the rim a ton more, probably because they've been starting Zubots. And they have someone in Kawhi Leonard who doesn't need to get to the rim to draw fouls, which is absolutely huge for them. There is that higher variance there, though, and maybe that's how that's the path for Dallas to get lucky, or that's maybe they win one of two games to open up, and that starts something rolling. I also wonder Zubots is fantastic. I don't think this will happen, but does he get not played off the floor, but does it become problematic having him on the court instead of Serge Ibaka? If Kristaps Porzingis is the other big, just because of where Porzingis is going to camp out, he's not going to try, or at least they shouldn't. Porzingis has been better on post-ups this year, but he shouldn't be trying to post up Zubats. And I know Zubats is quick, but there's still the element of it's not – you're not worried about Kristaps Porzingis necessarily taking him off the dribble. He's just going to stand far enough behind the three-point line where it takes Zubats a lot of – outside a lot of the interior actions. That would be my concern. I can't muster up anything else, though, for this. And Uh I think my pick here would be just – it would be Clippers in five. I'm trying to talk myself into six – but I'm just like, I, I, I can't get there. My X-Factors really quickly would be, I I think it's Jalen Brunson for Dallas. I feel like there has to be more Doncic-Brunson minutes because the Clippers will be able to throw the type of bot. We, Marcus Morris did a pretty good job on Luka Doncic in the playoffs last year. If they can get the ball out of his hands, they need another creator. It's Tim Hardaway Jr. or Jalen Brunson, I guess, are your best options. And then for the Clippers, it's kind of tough to pin down an X-Factor for them. Uh, I might just say because of how reliant they are on three-point volume, I'll, I'll default to Marcus Morris. He'll get a ton of reps against Luka Doncic defensively, and then you're going to rely a bunch on on his own three-point volume. But I think you could single out any one of their non-stars. Is it Zubats and his ability to match up with Kristaps Porzingis? Is it just Serge Ibaka in general to stretch the floor, not necessarily hurt your defense in certain situations? I, you could go, is it Terrence Mann because he's actually going to play? Is it Patrick Beverly? Can he stay healthy? Yeah, I feel like you could go any one of 80 different ways with the Clippers X-Factors.
0: Yeah, I think big picture Serge Ibaka might be, it, it's hard to, I, uh, There, five is also, like, Clippers and five is also my pick for this series. Um, but I, I think Ibaka is a good guy to kind of keep an eye on to see sort of how he's looking because, you know, I think down the line, the Clippers are definitely going to look for Marcus Morris is going to play significant minutes at center for them. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, just in in certain series. Um, and, but you don't want to try to really live that way. And so, because Zubats is just Zubats is good at what he does, but he's limited. And the idea of a Ab- of Ibaka made incredibly perfect sense. You know, from the moment they signed him as the guy who could co- sort of be the in between the been in between the versions of those two guys you can shoot it a little bit and you don't lose too much rim to rim protection as long as he's kind of right there he's not super mobile anymore but um i think he's someone i'm going to keep an eye on to kind of see what 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 version of Abaka we've got because he wasn't he wasn't great this year and he missed you know a fair amount of time um so I, I don't know if he's the x factor in this series i don't know if there is such a thing as an x factor for the clippers in this series um, I guess I would just want to shout out Maxi Kleba for Dallas because I like that guy and I hope he makes a difference. But it's hard to see how much why he would matter in this unless they put him on Kawhi again and he's the Kawhi stopper.
1: And the, Well, the other thing is, too, if, they, if the Clippers do decide to downsize in this series with Morris at the five minutes, you probably feel better about, OK, Kleba as the five and take Porzingis off. The, that's something you at least consider, which would increase the importance of Kleba. And he moves really well defensively, as you sort of already alluded to. Yeah, look, you go Nicholas Batum, by the way, for the Clippers as well. I'm not sure if this – I don't think this will shock you, but it is shocking given the circumstances under which he left Charlotte, how bad he was, and then went to L.A. He led the Clippers in minutes played this season.
0: That that does absolutely shock me. I, I can't <laughs> – that's, that, that's incredible. I had no idea. Um, um,
1: he beat out Paul George by – and he did this in – granted – 13 more appearances but being available this season in 67 of the 72 games. For him is also to forget about He's the right. truncated schedule for him. It's right? Uh he beat out Paul George by 14 total minutes on the year.
0: <laughs> Incredible. Good for him.
1: I want this series. We both had Clippers in 5 on that one, correct? Yeah. I want this series to be higher. I really do, but it's not we don't know that it's going to exist yet. And I also think we need to show the Jazz the appropriate amount of respect by ranking it lower. I, I don't want to imply that I think the Warriors or the Grizzlies could beat Utah. I just 100% don't think it's going to happen. My, I think it's going to be Golden State and Utah, but let's spend a few seconds on Memphis and Utah. Is there a path to that just becoming a series at all?
0: I think a lot a lot will depend on, like if you had to z- z- narrow it down to one stat, I would almost want it to be how many threes per game is Jaron Jackson Jr. going to make? And if you told me it was like four, four and a half, then I think maybe the Grizzlies are interesting or sort of in business a little bit. Um, I would love it if he could play center and just bring Gobert out of there, but that just hasn't proven to be a tenable strategy so far. Um, So Valanciunas will play a lot and I just, Valanciunas just, he's really good at what he does, but he does not give you any advantages against a team that has Rudy Gobert. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see the path. I mean, especially if, you know, the Grizzlies have a shooting game like they had on the at, at the end of the regular season against the Warriors, where John Morant is getting completely left alone, and his only avenue is to drive into the middle, which is where Rudy Gobert is going to be. And I just don't know where I don't know how the Grizzlies score. Um, I love I love the Grizzlies' potential to defend the Jazz pretty well. Um, I, I love all their wing defenders. Um, I, I think they they have size. I mean, Morant might get picked on a little bit, but uh, I just I don't know where I don't know where the Grizzlies find a way to compete offensively with Utah, which, you know, their offense is pretty darn good, too. So, yeah, I don't even when you
1: look at how many good individual defenders they have, what is the trade off? Winslow's role would be he might just be the X factor because can you he gives you a bunch of advantages defensively. Can you keep him on the floor offensively? The yeah. fact that the Jazz have Royce O'Neal, where this is the matchup, if you're looking at other teams later in the playoffs, how do the Jazz match up defensively with wings, especially if it's a team that relies on jump shots, because then I do think that diminishes the importance, at least a little bit, of what Rudy Gobert does. But your, let's say, most dangerous offensive player is either John Morant or or maybe Dylan Brooks, or it's Jonas Valanciunas, three players that Utah is built perfectly to defend between Royce O'Neal and Rudy Gobert, even... Look, Kyle Anderson's been great this year. You have Joe Ingles for him. It's not—it's like just not a huge deal. Also, the Grizzlies—they're 19th in frequency of the of the attempts that come out the rim. That's going to just drop because Gobert exists, and they're first in short mid-range attempts. Uh, the frequency, uh, the the share of which their attempts come from short floater range. I can't speak tonight. Apparently, Gobert's going to erase those two. Like that's yeah. just. That's a huge issue, and the fact that they don't shoot enough threes or make enough of them, maybe the volume gets up. But like in the win over the Spurs, Jaron Jackson Jr., two of four from three is great. Two makes and four attempts just isn't going to cut it for Memphis offensively yeah. against the Jazz. And so if it is Jazz Grizzlies, I want to go on the record as saying that would be the other series in the first round I'd predict
0: is a sweep. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. I just—I mean— again it's jaron jackson would have to make a a bunch of threes and just completely and play center and just do a do things that have not happened so uh i mean he's made threes he's a great shooter they got to figure out how to leverage him more but there's no evidence to suggest that that will happen against utah golden state
1: though impressions of the how utah and golden state might would will match up however you want to frame it at this moment this podcast is going to be a terrible listen. Should Memphis beat Golden State? By the
0: way. <laughs> well, so I, I I should probably have said this earlier, but I put I'm putting zero stock in anything that happened in the regular season with respect to these matchups. I shouldn't say zero, but almost no stock. So I don't care about the fact that the Warriors beat the Jazz and Phoenix uh, in the span of a week. You know, the, towards the end of the regular season, um, I think, in theory, obviously, I think the Warriors give the Jazz will give the Jazz a much bigger problem than Memphis will. I can't pick the Warriors to win that series um, for reasons I think that were evident against the Lakers where Curry has to be great, and sometimes even when he's great, it's not enough. Um, But I do think, you know, look, if if the Warriors are going to play high pick and roll and Draymond Green's going to play a lot of center and Rudy Gobert has to come out and then he doesn't want to come out, there's a way for the Warriors to sort of tip things downhill offensively um it may depend on curry finding guys to make shots it may depend depend on green being able to finish in four on threes things that you're not super comfortable with but there are sort of ways i can see uh the warriors getting some decent looks offensively and the warriors defense is really good um, I, I think that they can give utah they'll make utah work especially if donovan mitchell is is you know whatever percentage below 100 percent, he's going to be coming off that ankle um i think there's a scenario where this series goes six that's going to be my pick i'm going to pick the jazz in six um i just i just think the warriors can make it interesting but i'm not really ready to go further than that i don't know i don't know where you're at
1: yeah we're not i one maybe it is being talked about and i'm just not seeing it i feel like we're not talking enough about the fact that donald Mitchell hasn't played in a month right and is now just coming back does that at all make utah easier to defend they have other shot makers when you look at jordan clarkson or shot takers depending on the night for jordan clarkson not always a maker joe ingles Bojan badanovich you might kindly miss a ton of time towards the end of the regular season i do think there's a path i mean you outlined it of this becoming a series the draymond at the five stuff i don't know what that does it could very easily backfire on golden state as well if rudy gobert stays on the court i don't know how you match up with that part of me also is like well how who's guarding draymond green for the Warriors, uh, for the Jazz, but then it also kind of doesn't matter with the way that Green plays off. Like you just look at how the Lakers defended him; didn't you know they they doubled and tripled off of him. They just didn't care about him. Let him take wide open threes. You can use Gobert in that situation if you really just want to. So it, it, does it neutralize the threat of the the Curry Draymond Green pick and roll at all? I it's one of those situations where because Golden State is so good defensively, and you're not going to have Conley or Mitchell presumably at full strength. How disruptive? Golden State could be if they give JTA. Uh, I was surprised that he didn't play. I know he played 25 plus minutes, but he really wasn't on the court like during the most important moments of that Lakers game. I think he can help them there, having him and Draymond Green on the court, even Andrew Wiggins. Like they could really gum up things for Utah offensively. But then I'm also like, how do you defend if your Golden State Go Bears rolls? He's gotten a lot better at spraying passes on them, and just in general, he's always had the, you know, the power and, and quality finishing on the roll. Like Kavon Looney, Draymond Green. I don't. Are they built to do anything like that? I think Steph wins them at least a game on his own, and that's why I'm inclined to go Warriors in six. Because if you know you're going to get a game, and that's what I'm doing entering into this series on behalf of the Warriors. I don't think the path to getting another one is all that outrageous. Looking at Utah's makeup, given what we've mentioned about Mitchell and Conley, and I do think that Golden State, maybe aside from Gobert's roles, like they could really do give them some issues. My two quick X factors would be. I think I'll pick him for every single series that the Warriors are alive in. So just this one. Uh, Jordan Poole. They need another guy who can not just make the shots away from Stephen Curry, but who can also create them in the, let's say, 6 to 10 minutes he's not on the floor. And Andrew Wiggins, he's still too idle in the moments he plays without Stephen Curry. I think he's so important to this team defensively. He's shown that he can take advantage of some of the wide-open opportunities. He has not been the go-getter without Stephen Curry on the floor. Uh, so as a secondary creator alongside Steph, or in the minutes he's sitting, it's Jordan Poole for me. I think it has to be Royce O'Neal for Utah, just because he's going to see the lion's share of the time against Steph. But I think you have a couple of different options there as well.
0: Yeah, I think one thing I, I'll do a couple X factors and sort of get to them in a roundabout way. But I think specifically, I think we agree that uh, defensively the Warriors can really can make can make this difficult, and that that's largely because the Jazz have struggled. Consistently in the postseason against switching because they just they haven't had guys even Mitchell that you know that have consistently been able to break down a defense and get consistently you know efficient opportunities to score and so if Mitchell and Conley are compromised like now you're talking about boy Jordan Clarkson's important to this offense and man like Joe Ingles has got to you know do a lot more with the ball in his hands and and it's it gets tough because you know even really even if if Conley or Mitchell are fully healthy the switches you're going to be generating in crunch time are going to get you Toscano Anderson or Green on either of those guys like i don't know that's 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 not the worst setup certainly in green's case for the warriors um but that's why i kind of think Mitchell's too easy to pick as the x factor for me i think it's Conley and that's he's someone that we i've kind of been he seemed like a key guy all year for that reason because he's going to get a lot of centers switched onto him, I think. Um, and he's going to need to be able to make something happen. It'll be hard against the Warriors, who I think will probably not play a conventional center as much as most teams. But but I think Conley's really going to matter. Um, for the Warriors, like, yeah, I mean, Poole matters. He's probably their third most important player after Curry and Green just because of the what he's able to do as a shot creator that they just don't have anywhere else. Um, I don't know. I feel like Wiggins is kind of an X factor because he has to be fully engaged all the time on both ends, and that just doesn't always happen. But if he is, then maybe this gets more interesting. I, I still – I think – are we agreeing that it's it's uh, jazz and six?
1: Yes, and it's almost by virtue of only Stephen Curry and the defense that I'm willing to give the Warriors two games.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I agree.
1: I'm wondering if this choice – I don't think it's going to surprise you, but just going in order as we're building up the interest – the 3v6 matchup in the West between the Nuggets and Blazers, I would be more... I'm still curious, and I am I think we're at the point where I don't think that there's going to be a bad series. It was once we got past really Philly and Washington and Celtics Nets, I am genuinely intrigued by all these matchups. If Jamal Murray was available, I would be far more inclined to, to boost this series up. But thoughts, general impressions, X factors, takeaways, things to watch, anything on this matchup.
0: This is my first upset pick. Um, and it, I don't even like the Blazers that much as, which is the crazy thing. Um, I just, I think that I like the matchup a little bit with, um, Jokic having to be out on the floor involved in a lot of screen, high screen action with Dame Lillard. Um, I think that's a problem for the Nuggets. I think, both of these defenses are not good, but the Blazers defense with their new lineup has actually been okay, and I think Nurkic is a pretty good guy to throw at Jokic. I mean, if only cuz they're kind of familiar from playing together, but also cuz he's just big and he's physical and, you know, he's pretty close to as good as you're going to do against Jokic. There's no there's no answer for him. Um, but yeah, I think I think Portland you know, has McCollum as a sort of a second option to score that, you know, I guess the Nuggets ordered, you know, Michael Porter has been great, but man, they're thin on the wings after that. And who, Facundo Campazzo is he really, is he really going to bother either Lillard or McCollum? I So I think there's not going to be a lot of great defense played. And I think the way that Portland Goes into its offense with high screen action for Lillard is really going to be a problem for for the Nuggets. So I I think I th- I feel pretty good about Portland. Uh, Portland and I had it as six, but that would mean that Portland would have to close it out. No, that would be okay because Portland's closing it out at home. There, that's I'm good with that. Blazers in six. That's my pick. The
1: the Blazers are more interesting because they've they're a terrible defense overall on the season, but they've been yeah. closer to league average. Since Yusuf Nurkic's return overall from injury. And then when you look at the minutes with him on the court, they rank in the 81st percentile of defensive efficiency. That includes all lineups who have logged at least 15 possessions. That's actually huge. That's huge. I agree with what you said about him going up against Jokic. I don't know how much it helps when Jokic is now scooting by guys off the dribble and taking these yeah. taking threes more um, seem more willing to take threes. He also, when you look at his splits, he just seems more willing and better at shooting threes in the postseason. And so if there's an improvement from the point that he's at right now, I still think Portland's in trouble. The Michael Porter Jr. question is so fair because he played fantastic basketball after the Murray injury, and they did give him a little bit more on-ball responsibility. This still wasn't someone who was generating a ton of his own looks, and he doesn't set up the offense like Jamal Murray would. No. I also... You mentioned how are they going to defend C.J. McCollum and Dame. That would have been a problem to begin with. I do think Facundo Campazzo, just the pressure he can put with on the ball without getting burned, that will help. They're going to miss P.J. Dozier against those matchups as well. Even if you used him to go after Norman Powell, who gives the Blazers that north-south explosion. And I think for some reason, I can't explain it, and I didn't dive into numbers for it. I feel like he might have helped the Blazers defensively as well because he's more of just like this in-your-face guy and has the big play potential on defense where, yeah, he'll get burned, whereas Gary Trent Jr. was just solid positionally. But they Uh needed, because they're not super talented defensively, aside from Covington and Nurkic, they need that guy who's going to give them energy and make big plays, even if sometimes it comes at the expense of of other possessions. I I just look, and I'm not sure how Denver is going to defend that. They have Aaron Gordon, which helps. But Aaron Gordon has spent more time defending guards than I thought he did this year. Do you want Aaron Gordon on Dame? Like, I don't. Do you want him on C.J. McCollum? I I just don't know. My inclination, though, given how clutch Jokic has been this season, how well the Nuggets played overall without Jamal Murray, what Michael Porter Jr. gives you, and he's been a better help defender. I don't know how much that might necessarily matter in this series, but if you are worried about Powell and McCollum and Lillard breaking through, what's happening on the perimeter, Michael Porter Jr. might actually become key there. I'm going Nuggets in seven. I don't feel great about it. I'd feel a lot better about it if we knew what was going on with Will Barton at the moment. Because yeah. we know Dozier won't play. We know Murray won't play. I believe Monte Morris is back. So that gives you a little bit extra creation. But Barton is mo- is closer to the whole package than a Compazzo or a Monte Morris or even a Michael Porter Jr. Just because I think Barton's the better table setter than any of those guys. I just can't pick against Jokic right now. and. I think he'll set up gimmies for Michael Porter Jr. It's the same thing. Who's defending Michael Porter Jr. on on the Blazers? Uh, Robert Covington's fantastic off the ball, but if you're putting the ball more in Michael Porter Jr.'s hands and that's the matchup, how good do you actually feel about that?
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that's all fair. I'll give you I, – I didn't realize – I was kind of leaning on this without knowing the numbers exactly, but I looked them up. So – in it's only 844 possessions, which is not a ton, but it's fairly significant. The lineup season, especially. (laughs) Yeah. The, the lineup of Lillard, McCollum, Powell, Covington, and Nurkic is plus 14.1 net rating. Um, they're good on both ends. The, their defensive rank defensive rating is 105.1. This is cleaning the glass. So no garbage time. Um, like, I don't know, man, that's, that's compelling to me. Um, and and just having Lillard, McCollum, Powell, and Nurkic, it's plus fifteen point nine, and they're scoring one hundred and twenty point five points per hundred possessions, giving up one hundred and four point six, and those guys are going to play the lion's share of minutes. Uh, I forget I, now. Nah, I'm gonna. I think it was Dan Feldman for NBC. Um, just kind of looked at the playoff series or looked at the playoff rotations as if. You know, you're just going to play your five best guys, which is, you know, that's not the case, but that's a pretty quick and dirty way to get an idea of how good these teams are because the benches don't matter as much. The Blazers are a lot better than their overall numbers look. Certainly their defensive rating looks on the year um, if they just lean on their best players. And so it sucks. I hate picking against Jokic. He's the best player in the series. He's obviously the MVP, but um, I think Portland's kind of sneaky. I think, I think, uh, I don't know how you feel, but... I got a little anchored to their really ugly skid when suddenly all the Dame Lillard's unhappy and Terry Stotts is on the hot seat and this thing's going south, and I just buried them. And then, man, they finished strong, and their their five best players are are good. So I I, I kind of like the upset here in six.
1: I'm, it's wild to me they're going in six. I have Nuggets in seven, so I could clearly see it going either way. Who, do you have any X factors? I think, uh, one thing I am interested to see is how does Denver tighten up its rotation? Maybe the decisions are made organically based on who's available, but like, Austin Rivers and Shaq Harrison were playing meaningful minutes for this team by the close of the regular season, and that could happen here. I think I still go Aaron Gordon, just because I think he's going to see time against the the dynamic duo in Portland. He defended point guards and shooting guards on more than a third or about a third of his partial possessions on defense this year. I think you have to, unless you really trust Facundo Campazzo, Morris, and Rivers as the combination to get after those two, But Gordon's going to have to shoulder a lot defensively, and they need more from him offensively too, because after sort of the honeymoon start, he slowed down there. I don't know what my X factor is for Portland, because I don't want to pick anyone in the starting lineup or that main five, and they also did shorten their rotation a ton towards the end of the regular season. So you mentioned playing your best players. Uh, I, t- I would totally agree with you there. They've already started doing it. I guess, could you just go Melo or is it Anthony Simons? Those two guys, anyone who could spare give you some minutes offensively where you can sit Dame and or CJ. I'll just lean, I'll default to Mello there. It's not going to be Ennis Kanter for me because I they'll play him, but my, my guess is going to be that, you have Nurkic playing 30 plus minutes per game. You also have the option of do you use Ronde Hollis Jefferson or Robert Covington even at the five? Even Derek Jones Jr. Like, do there are are these different types of lineups that they haven't necessarily leaned upon a ton this year, but this could be a series where maybe it doesn't make so much sense to have Canner on the floor as much or do you like him against Jokic in that scenario I'm just defaulting to Mello here because why not he's coming off the bench and I don't think the Blazers have a strong bench overall as much as we may like some of the guys I still remain intrigued by he's not healthy but Nasir Little if anyone cares about that <laughs> uh, but and Anthony Simons seems to get post-April Anthony Simons after April 1st feels like he's always a, a threat but I'll default to Mello as my x-factor for, for Portland
0: yeah, I was gonna say Cantor, but like in in the bad way where, it, which is to say that if Cantor, the X factor is that if he has to play a lot, I think I would take my pick back because, because, like that's just a that's just a death sentence having him try to handle Jokic in space and with guys cutting and pick and rolls and all kinds of stuff. Um, isn't it interesting that the the best thing about Aaron Gordon on the Nuggets was that in theory. Oh, finally, he's gonna just do the stuff that he's good at, and he's gonna he's gonna scale down. He's gonna trim the fat from his game. Orlando is always trying to he or he wanted to always be a little more than he was, and now that's exactly what's being asked of him. He's you gotta up the playmaking. You're gonna have to score more. You're gonna have to guard multiple positions, and he is their X factor because he's the the asks are gonna be huge. Um, it's just interesting that that this perfect fit because he was gonna sort of scale back a lot of the stuff that he had to do. Now suddenly he's it's almost it's like an amplified version of Orlando where he's just he has no choice but to sort of get out of he has to play sort of outside of himself for for the Nuggets to to really do well here
1: yeah I do wonder if they try I don't know why it'd have to be in Jokicless you know, minutes which there aren't going to be many of those do they need him to play make a little bit based on if will barton's not available but maybe they could i would say the biggest thing for him is he needs to knock down the threes and not stay moving on offense because he's been fine when he's moving off the ball and trying to finish but it feels like he's not always moving as much as he he should be
0: yeah i agree so you no, bla- go ahead no i was just gonna i was just gonna say it's it gordon i reiterate that gordon's role in this series is massive
1: blazers in six for you i have nuggets mm-hmm. in seven the the next matchup for me, I feel like it should be higher. Granted, we only have three left. The three v6 matchup in the East, which is Bucks Heat. It's we know what happened last year. Everyone always questions Milwaukee. I think the reason I almost feel like this intrigue level is inflated by me. I don't think the Heat have a chance in this series. I'm just curious how you feel.
0: So it's it's I think maybe like my second most interesting series. But then I have Bucks in five, so I agree. Like there's, I I want to. It's all, it's, it. I mean, it's all, all the case is all there, right? You know, Miami handed it to him last year. Uh, the Eric Spoelstra is a great postseason coach. They have autobio to get in Giannis's way. That's worked. We've seen that work in the past. Uh, just the 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 Heat. I again the kind of like the Boston thing. I think I think the Heat are. I think they played over their heads last year, obviously, to make the finals. They're not—they're not even as good as last year's regular season heat and the playoff heat were three notches above that. So they're—they're they're not starting with at the same level as they were when they made their jump last year. Um, but it's—it's more—it's more gut thing. It's—it's it's the pressure on Budenholzer the fact that he has failed to adjust a million times and nobody forces adjustments more than the Heat and more than Spolstra, but then it's just a talent thing and the Bucks have so much of it and they really have kind of played this season in anticipation of having to play different styles in a playoff series. And so if, if they're ever going to be ready for the Heat or a team like the Heat, it's got to be now. Um, but I agree. It's a, it's, it's still like a super interesting series. If the Bucks lose game one, for example, can you imagine the, like the, what the vibes are going to be? It's going to be, I mean, it'll be fantastic. Um, but it's, yeah, same. It's hard. It's hard to see a way for, for the heat to win the series or even really be competitive since I'm picking a five game series. But, but I agree with you that there's just something about it that feels, you know, like there's the potential for something interesting.
1: And look, the fact that I know we talked about how much more the Bucks switched, but they, per synergy, increased the frequency with which they played zone basically six sure. by six times. I'm wondering if that matters versus the Heat because they improved their three-point clip a bunch towards the end of the season since about April 1st. But you look at them, and they don't have a ton of great shooters. Jimmy Butler doesn't take a, bun- a bunch of threes anymore. Adebayo lives from the mid-range more than he's going to from beyond, and you'll be okay with him taking those looks. There's Duncan Robinson, but who's just the guy that's going to be lights out aside from Duncan Robinson? And if you can force the Heat to sort of live on the perimeter, like similar to what the Heat were trying to do with Giannis last year, I will say that is the pathway, though, because the Heat excel or know how to play zone so well. Does that give Milwaukee problems? I think, look, Eric Pleto was dog shit for New Orleans this year. Maybe had a lot of stuff going on. I personally had to change teams, pandemic, all that. Not trying to dump all over him, actually. is a massive upgrade, offensively. Huge. Can Huge. Score, can score at every level where Bledsoe, just in the postseason specifically, cannot. And is Miami's zone going to be that effective then against Milwaukee when you have Drew Holiday and Middleton on the court at the same time? The other thing to note here, and the numbers don't support the finishing – as with Giannis as a screener, but the fact that he's doing it more and can be used as a decoy in those instances, maybe that's a way to bust through Miami's zone at points. I, I honestly don't know. I'm genuinely curious. My X factor here would be Mike Budenholzer to see how many adjustments he actually makes throughout the series. <laughs> is he is he willing? Look, the Bucks made a ton of adjustments this year, so if that informs what's going to happen, they'll be fine, I guess. But it's it's Mike Bohnholzer. What we have to, you know, you could is it Giannis's jumper if you want to say that. Uh, I just, if they're the other thing I want to see from them is what I was getting at. They didn't really play, and I know PJ Tucker was injured for a bit. We didn't see a ton of PJ Tucker and Giannis as the primary front court. I think that's something that, in every single playoff matchup that they'll have, is going to be important. Are they going to go to more of that? How much are you relying on Brooke Lopez? You're so good at preventing shots at the rim, but like in, is Jimmy Butler is going up against Jimmy Butler sort of a different beast there. My X Factor for Miami is Tyler Hero. Played so well in the bubble at points last year. Very up and down this year. Had a pretty strong close to the season, though. And they they need someone other than. Butler and bio. You can even talk me into Dragic, just because he's not the same player he was last season. You can talk me into Trevor Ariza, too, because he has to play the role of Jay Crowder, which is part of what made the Heat so dangerous last year. Crowder had some really good moments defending Antetokounmpo. They lost that. I'm not going to say that Jay Crowder is the sole reason the Heat aren't where they were last season, but he's a bigger reason than I think people have really noted, because you can't... You can do things like maybe Andre Godala helps you there. You lose a hell of a lot of floor spacing if you're playing Bam... Butler and Iguodala at the same time.
0: Yeah. How dare you take both of my X-Factors? I, I was going to say Tucker mo, uh, kind of in the same,
1: to be fair, I named same... half the heat's roster. So there's a good chance I was going <laughs> to steal true. your X-Factor. I was gonna,
0: Dragic is going to be my backup. And then you just went ahead and listed him <laughs> off too. Um, I, I think Tucker, so sort of in the same vein as, as I'm interested in how, what a is going to look like. Um, Cause Tucker's so important in theory for what the best version of this Bucks team wants to be. Um, and I certainly was not satisfied in the regular season that he's anything close to Rockets, PJ Tucker, you know, that that could do do PJ Tucker stuff for, I don't know, 25 minutes a game. I mean, even that, you know, I, so I want to know I, maybe this isn't the series where the heat or where the Bucks either need that. Um, I, I just would echo the hero stuff because I, I don't I don't think it's realistic to expect Rockets to have just another incredible turn back the clock postseason run. Um, so if there's going to be an over, sort of an overperformer, it makes more sense for it to be Hero since, you know, he is he can get his own, own shot, he can get his own toughs. That's kind of the problem. But tough shots might be all that the Heat can generate against this defense anyway, um, with all the length it has. And I mean, if he gets you know locked up on Drew Holiday, good luck, good luck to you. Um, but yeah, the, the Heat are going to need ways to score, especially from the perimeter because um, the Bucks are going to surrender threes if they play their base defense, so somebody's going to have to hit them. And so Hero Hero seems like the likeliest candidate for that.
1: The other thing with... Uh,
0: did you have a Bucks X-Factor? Uh, I'm just going to say Tucker.
1: The, it, also, the it also could be Bryn Forbes, but I think that's really dependent on Budnholzer as well. As, are you going to play Bryn Forbes in the second half over Pat Connaughton? It seems like they get addicted to bad Pat Connaughton second half minutes at points. But Bryn Forbes... Led the NBA in points per touch this year. And so if you're looking for someone to maybe help bust up the zone and hit shots from the perimeter, I feel like he could be valuable. Again, this all comes back to who his buttonholes are playing because the, the Bucks are more playoff-proof to me. They are also definitively shallower than they were last year.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I I think we didn't mention, too, um, he wasn't a huge factor in the playoffs, but you know when the Heat gave teams trouble with the zone, it was because Derek Jones Jr. was at the top of it, and he's not there either. And that's he's important. also not really Derek Jones Jr. anymore for some reason, because that just he hasn't translated in Portland. But um, that's that's just another thing that's sort of off the table for the Heat that worked really well. I have to not
1: quote Brandon Jennings. Bucks in five just like you do. <laughs> I was tempted to put this series at the top because I feel like I'm hitting the low-hanging fruit by putting the series we'll speak about uh, last. At the same time, I don't want to be the homer here. Knicks versus Hawks, 4v5 in the East. I don't know that I have a feel for this series. Do you?
0: I don't. Um, I, I. Well, I think part of it's because Here's my main concern, first of all, you are an enormous homer for this to be your second most interesting series, really uh, Trey
1: Young in the playoffs. How do they defend Julius Randle? i
0: I think no I'm just kidding. i think I think it is interesting because of how much we don't know because this is and you it's know, kind of dead either Just they have almost... the same record <laughs> yes, where I think I read today they they were like their their point differentials would have been identical if one or the other had scored a single point in in the season. like one one more point in the year, so they're just like. That's why not mirror images because they're very different teams. But um, I I wonder. So here's my main and there's not a stat for this. So just take take this and do with it what you will. I wonder how much. How much the Knicks might suffer from not having another gear, you know, like it's such a cliche, but I'm sure you've even heard this argument, but it rings true to me that part of the reason the knicks were so good this year and so surprising is that thibodeau had them playing their asses off all the time and their defense was wired tight to like a playoff level of intensity and attention to detail all the time and they had to because they just didn't have elite defensive personnel some they have good defenders uh, some very good but i think they succeeded you know randall being twice the player he used to be was a huge factor and some hits in other areas but the defense was just on a hundred I don't know if they have 110. Like I, So I think, and, and I don't know if that's the case with the Hawks or most other playoff teams. Uh, so I, I just wonder if we've seen the best version of the Knicks and it, we know that it's about as good as the regular season version of the Hawks and on the theory that the Hawks can be better than that when they play their best guys and, you know, whatever, all the other, they're focused in the playoffs and they can scout and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that I think if you're looking at these two teams as even, I think that's where I would draw the the potential point of separation is that I think that the Knicks are like maxed out and and so I, d- I don't know how much better they can be.
1: Yeah, it's how do you increase? And I think it was John Hollinger who pointed this out for the athletic. How do you increase Julius Randle's minutes when he was playing thirty eight a game already? How much? That's
0: another thing. They've already played all their best guys like ro- playoff rotation type style. So that yeah, great. That's a great point.
1: The I think what this works against them because they play so slow. They were thirtieth. In average possession time, in the league this year, 29th after the trade deadline. So, playing a lot faster. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that you talk about the lack of the offensive ge- uh, lack of a different gear in general. Maybe they have it defensively because I think we've seen it. Everyone talks about their shot profile allowing too many looks at the rim, too many threes. When you really dug into them, especially later on in the year, uh, the shots at the rim, Nerland Noel well, was just going to eat those for breakfast anyway from beyond the arc they're like really selective on they help off from different spots it seems like and they'll chase guys off the above the break looks and so i think their defense is even better than people assume and should be fine in the playoffs who who do you have if you're the hawks to throw at julius randles the other question do you trust Clint capella on switches i don't think it can be john collins as okay as he's been on defense this year it can be DeAndre Hunter in theory. How many minutes are you getting from him after he missed so much time with, with his injury? I think it was a knee injury, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, the, Randall's been hitting tough shots all year. I'm wondering if he can actually just dice up the Hawks and have an easier time than normal. That will really help them. But who the, the Knicks? They you know who? And then all, the other question here is you know who's defending? Uh, Derrick Rose been spectacular for the Knicks, and are they going to? How much we know? Derrick Rose will play with the starters. How much do they lean on the bench units that were so good for them? It was either R.J. Barrett plus bench units started killing people towards the end of the season. They've done Julius Randle versus every bench because I do think Emmanuel Quickly and Derrick Rose playing them at the same time that puts the Hawks in some um, dicey situations. Chris Dunn wasn't really a part of the rotation towards the end of the year. I don't believe even after he came back from injury, he would be a natural option for them to go after that. With but Cam Reddish still hurt. So how would you defend that that backcourt if you're Atlanta? I think the Knicks offense can... I don't think it's going to have a higher ceiling. I think it can maintain the higher level of efficiency it was already playing with post-All-Star uh, break there. I'm still just hesitant to pick them because Bona has been just absolutely on fire. You have Trey Young. You have Kevin Herter. They can do a lot of different things in motion on offense. Reggie Bullock has been fantastic. He'll help. I think R.J. Barrett will do well off the ball. It feels like they're one guy short. And I'm gonna tell you right now, my X factor for the Knicks, surprise, surprise, is Frank Neil And if you Oh you're, baby, if you're not playing Frank Neil in this series at least fifteen minutes a game, my the chances of you winning it to me are exponentially lower. This is my homerism coming out, I'm sure. Who else is suited to go after Trey Young, though, on this team? Who?
0: No, that that's that's a great I mean that that's a great point because but I do think you tripped think up
1: gonna... you weren't expecting to do the Frank kid at dive no,
0: it, it, tie, it ties into one of the things I was going to get to, which is that I, I i'm this is maybe one of the biggest angles of the series is what's trey Young going to look like against the playoff defense that tries to get the ball out of his hands because so i don't think there's going to be one guy most of the time on him i think I think you'll see a lot of traps and I think you'll see and this is why i 'll just say deAndre is my x factor on both ends, which is really scary, given you know the the huge interruption, injury-based interruption to his season this year, because I think that is the guy you probably hope can bother Randall the most. Because I don't think you want Capella out there. I think he's got other stuff he needs to be doing, um, and I don't think he's mobile enough to stay with Randall. Uh, so he's so it's it's big on that end. It's big on the other end because if you are forcing the ball out of Trey Young's hands, Bogdanovich, sure, fine, totally capable. We'll see how many minutes they match him up with Young because I think you might want him playing a lot of second unit minutes. But then that's going to fall to Hunter to to create too, and he looked. That was one of the biggest parts of his you know early season leap, where it was just like, man, this guy is suddenly, you know, one of the five best young three and D wings with that kid has some off the bounce stuff, and like he was just, I was so sold on him before he got hurt. Um, he's going to have to play make a little bit too, because I, I think Nilakina clearly is the best option to to put on Trey if you have to, it has to be one guy. Um, and look, the only thing
1: I'm going to say really quickly on that to interject is that if that the, is in any way something that we are saying, he should have been a more integral part of the rotation during the regular season. That's all I'm going to say. Carry <laughs> on. <this> <laughs> <season>.
0: <laughs> no, I'm always here for uh, for Frankie Smoke's propaganda. Uh, that's what I come to you for. We are the official
1: uh, podcast of Frankie Smoke's propaganda, so you're, you've come to the right place.
0: It's <laughs> a good place to be. Um, yeah, no, I think Hunter's really important, and that's probably the scariest part uh, of all this. The Knicks X Factor, I don't know who, it, I guess I can't say Nilakina. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting for them because it's like you can't, I, I won't pick a defensive guy because they're just such a cohesive kind of defensive unit. I guess it would be Noel. Um, you know, is he going to be as dominant defensively as Capella? Can he play a bunch of minutes? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe it's quickly just because I'd like to see how he sustains his effectiveness against a playoff defense. Um, I feel like I keep going back to that, but I just can't. I've never been more convinced that the playoffs are just different. And so, what you think you know about a player, especially a rookie, you you can't really verify that until you see what happens in the playoffs. So, I'd be curious if he uh, is similarly effective. If he can sort, if it's young on him, if he can sort of make young work and tire him out that that seems like that might be important if you're trying to slow atlanta down on offense um yeah i don't know i think this will be a good series i feel bad for um for giving you shit about picking it as your second most interesting because we've had a lot to say about it
1: yeah look you can go i think you go with rj barrett or bullock as another x factor too because i'm assuming one of those guys seems sees a ton of time on bodanovich uh, maybe Bullock mm. seems a ton of time on trey young if the yeah. If the Knicks don't play Nielakina in the first place, maybe even Barrett does too. I'd I'd say it's probably more likely Bullock. The other thing here is though, how often is, you could say Tibbs, is Alfred Payton playing ever in this series? And I want to make it clear that because it's a pandemic season, because Alfred Payton seems all over the place on the court, I don't necessarily want to dump all over him to borrow a phrase from before, but he's been fucking awful this year for them. They are a minus 83 points this year when he's on the court there are plus 245 when he's off i know a lot of those are bench minutes i don't fucking care because we've seen rose play with the starters and they've annihilated people i'm not even saying start rose start frank neil akina (laughs) shocker novel i know and i understand the thought process behind starting someone like peyton theoretically get you into your offense where neil akina will not and Then it saves, you have Derrick Rose gives you an edge off the bench. And I do think they really like the idea of giving IQ and Rose minutes together because of how much of a mismatch that they could be. Now's not the time to do that. Just up the minutes of, you know, Derrick Rose, just start him if you want, and then just play him a ton extra minutes and hope that his efficiency holds. But that's something that could lose the Knicks the series if Alfred Payton is going to play, you know, a ceremonial 15 minutes a game.
0: So I was gonna. Pey- Peyton has been one of the most inexplicable starters to me. That's kept his job uh, on on any team all Keith year. Keith Bogans doesn't um, even understand it. I, <laughs> we may have to. Well, I, so can you explain why? Because I agree, Peyton. The numbers say it, and just like just his individual numbers make you wonder why on earth is this guy starting for a playoff team all the time? So because Randall can do so much with the ball. And because in theory, like Barrett, actually that's kind of the theory of Barrett, right? Is that he's capable of, you know, doing something with the ball. He's not a standstill shooter, although he's gotten better as a shooter, obviously. Um, why haven't the Knicks messed around with no point guard? Just, you know, get a couple more, we'll get another wing out there that can defend, just, even if it's Nilakina. I mean, cause he's not really a point guard. Um, he's whatever I, you I need know, him to be, Grant. He's, he's, <laughs> he's everything and more. I, I, I just don't understand why they haven't gone away from a conventional point guard, because it seems like they got enough playmaking in sort of unconventional ways.
1: And I also uh, wonder, I, this there's no stat behind this, but if you pull Alfred Payton and put in Frank Nielakina, put, put in Al Burks. If right. You put, if you put in, let's say, Frank Niel-Aquina, someone who's not going to get into the offense, does it force, because I do, RJ Barrett's really good, especially when he puts more pressure on the rim, and he's been more consistent about it, but there are games where I feel like if he doesn't do it early, he just doesn't do it as much. By not having another ball handler in that starting unit, does it kind of force him to do that more? And maybe Mm -hmm. now's not the time to test it out, but if the alternative is playing Alfred Payton, then yeah, now would be the time to test it out. My official pick here, though, I have Hunter as the X-Factor for the Hawks, by the way. I do think it could be Bogdanovich if you're um, looking at who do you need to be the second-best offensive player to win if Trey Young's floaters aren't falling because of the Knicks contests. I guess you could throw Gallo in there, too, if you really wanted to. But Hunter, just what he's going to have to do defensively. And they're going to need him to do stuff offensively as well. I'm going Hawks in seven here. I wanted to pick—my my heart wants Nixon seven. But the the math here just doesn't keep working out. And I don't—if you told me that Tibbs wasn't going to play Alfred Payton, I'm going to tell you right now I'd pick the Nixon seven. And the fact that oh. I can't get—if so, we can save it. Maybe I'll change it after the opening tip of game one. If, if Alfred Payton is not on the court with 11 minutes left in the first quarter, I will pivot to the Knicks Nixon seven. It,
0: it's very unsatisfying that I also picked the Hawks in seven. And there was like a throw my hands up pick for, because obviously we've kind of explained why, who, who the fuck knows what's going to happen in this series. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, it's really phenomenal to know that a series is going to swing on Alfred Payton and not in a good way.
1: Or Frankie Laquina in a great way. One or the other. Right.
0: That's, that would be the good one.
1: Suns Lakers inherently interesting because the seven seed is favored in this one, which makes sense. LeBron and AD versus Phoenix. What do you think about this one?
0: So, if you could see my sheet that I have, I could show it to you, but the listeners wouldn't be able to tell where I've tried to decide who's going to win the series and in how many games. There's like six or seven things crossed out. Is this like a Charlie Day
1: meme situation?
0: It's it's yeah. I just it's. I don't even, I, even as we speak right now, I don't know who I'm going to pick to win the series. I, maybe I'll, I'll arrive at it at some point in the next 15 minutes. So it's such a, it's, I, if LeBron, this is so, like, you could get this, this take anywhere. If LeBron and AD are healthy, which they did not appear to be against the Warriors in the first round of the play in, then I would pick them to beat the Suns. I would pick them to beat everybody and win the world championship of the sport of basketball. Um, I don't know if they are healthy. I don't think, I don't think that they're healthy. And so I think not only, you know, does that change the whole West outlook, I think the sons are going to, I think the sons are going to win this series. And I, I think they're just, they're so solid. They, you know, the things that give me concerns, I think Deandre Ayton is going to be tested. I'm not sure he's going to pass that test. Uh, he's become adequate defensively. He's the, the, he's going to be asked to handle I mean, if it's if he's got to guard Davis when the Lakers get serious and play him at the five, like that's that is tough. I don't know who's suited for that. Again, assuming Davis is healthy. Um, I, I but then other than that, like I don't know where you're finding the weaknesses in the Suns. We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know where the exploitable issues are for Phoenix. Uh, you know, Chris Paul's 36. He's broken down in playoffs before. Maybe that's your that's your window if you're the Lakers, or that's what makes the Suns vulnerable. But other than that, um. Yeah, Phoenix is really good, and I don't see the the weak point that you'd normally point to as 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 a concern.
1: You also pointed out the last time we podcasted the fact that Devin Booker and Chris Paul want to get to snake to the mid range, whatever they want to do, that might help them in this series. I think the I have Suns in seven, so we'll go right off the bat there. And I've pained over this one. I the fact that LeBron just looked off against the Warriors. Anthony Davis yeah. looked off in the first half. I'm very concerned about the play offensively of their teammates. Uh, We were concerned last year, but this is different from the bubble because there's going to be, there'll be fans in Phoenix. I'm not, I don't want to skew too much in that direction, but Dennis shooter now has three games under his belt since coming back from COVID. That's, we can't just assume that he's going to be good in those minutes where they ask him to either run the offense without LeBron on the court, or if he just has the ball in his hands with LeBron off, like they've been touch and go for a good portion of this year. Can you get a good and high volume night from Kyle Kuzma? A lot of the times it feels like it's one or the other, High volume, not efficient. Efficient, but not high volume. Uh, I don't feel like we can just default to, like last season, oh, they're going to take and make enough threes, like they did in the postseason. I just don't think that flies here. Their defense is absolutely harrowing, though. We watched what they were able to do to the Warriors. But I also wonder, Phoenix is better structured, better suited to navigate that. Who are you? You're putting Caruso on Booker or Chris Paul. What are you doing with the other? It's Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. Is, if it's Dennis Schroeder, they're in trouble because we saw him get burned in the Warriors game at points. The The Suns, like th- that, that's a real issue. Just like they're going to have problems defending the Lakers, two best players, I don't think the Lakers, despite all their – and their defense is credible. It was first in the league without LeBron and AD, so I'm not trying to downplay that. But the consistency those two play with and the, d- the decisions both Booker and Chris Paul make if they are double-teamed, and Booker is double-teamed more often than Chris Paul – they're just so used to that now, and they're gonna make the right play. And I trust their supporting cast. If it's a Mikael Bridges, you need him to take a three, um, or attack a closeout, or cut to the basket. He can do that. Cam Johnson has given them good minutes. My biggest concern here, and it's not the lack of experience outside Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, is the center rotation because the Dario Sarge at the five minutes statistically have been great. That came against a lot of second units. He was there was a stretch where he was closing games over DeAndre Ayton. That's since passed and Sarge just isn't playing as much. It feels like defenses have or excuse me, offensive offenses have figured out how to attack those units. They can't aff- they can't afford Ayton to disappear like he has. And it can happen at either end of the floor. I think he's more likely to get out played off the floor offensively than defensively. I don't actually mind him having to go up against Anthony Davis, especially if Jay Crowder is also on the court. What I do think helps the Suns, and you can tell me if I'm crazy here, Bringing in Torrey Craig, all of a sudden there's this situation where between Torrey Craig, Mikael Bridges, Jay Crowder, you can get creative with how you're going after uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I think. And so that could end up being big for them. If LeBron's ankle wasn't in question, if Davis hadn't sort of been all over the place a lot this year, even coming back from the injury, I would be picking the Lakers. I want to make that clear. But they're not healthy. Their, support, their third most important player isn't healthy and has been all over the place himself. Suns and 7 feels like the right pick here. And my final thing to wrap up would be, uh, and obviously if you have X-Factors, I'm just going to piggyback off of those. But I think Jay Crowder is my X-Factor for Phoenix. Will they consider doing like the Jay Crowder-Tory Craig front court, where they just don't have a center if Aiton's getting cooked enough? And if it's Davis at the 5? You don't do that if it's Gasol and Davis. But that's something I'm just going to look at. But Jay Crowder has been huge defensively for them all year. The Lakers X-Factor for me has to be Dennis Schroeder because they need him to be able to to generate his own shots put pressure on the basket. Uh it's not and again it's not just about the minutes LeBron is off the court of which there will be very few. It's the minutes that he's on the court too and you don't necessarily have him on the ball.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I as as you were talking about Crowder, you know, I I you know there's nobody great for LeBron, but if LeBron is diminished, then Crowder's pretty I'm mean, I'm pretty good with Crowder there. And then the other thing that does is Bridges is going to guard someone that is not qualified to be guarded by Mikhail Bridges. And and he is going to shut that guy down and be all over the place in the passing lanes. And so I think just macro, uh, the Lakers are if the if the Lakers lose this series, which I think they will, I think I'm gonna go with you and say Suns in seven, because I can't I can't do it in six because that means they'd have to win it in LA. And I can't do it in five because that's not enough respect for James and Davis. So it's seven. But I, I just think that like I, I just I, I just don't know where the Lakers are gonna be able to consistently succeed on offense if James or Davis I mean and is obviously they have no chance if both of them are not not dominant offensively but if one or the other because I don't trust Schroeder at all I don't like KCP might hit some shots uh Kuzma I don't trust West Matthews I don't trust to play significant minutes in matter like they're they're just not going to be able to score I feel like I've said that about several teams but um it's it's an acute issue in this series because it's just the Suns. I think are going to score. Um, I think they have too many ways to get that done. Um, even it's even against the defense as good as the Lakers. I just don't know how. It, again, if LeBron and AD are magically healthy, erase everything I just said, and I think the Lakers win the series. But uh, as it stands now, I think it's going to be really hard for them to to compete offensively.
1: Yeah, having Jay Crowder on LeBron with I guess 8 on non-Davis. And if you're able to use Torrey Craig and/or Mikael Bridges as the helpers because of who they're coming off of, big mm-hmm. for Phoenix. I also think, depending on how the Lakers mirror minutes with who's ever guarding Chris Paul, or let's say it's Devin. Let's say if it's Chris Paul, are they pulling Alex Caruso when Chris Paul sits? And then the minutes that Devin Booker and Cameron Payne play together, they might be few and far between. They might be able to put real pressure on the Lakers defense in those situations then. And so campaign could be another X factor here. He's I'll say this. I trust campaign coming into this series more than I do Dennis Schroeder.
0: I was just going to say, I think I'd rather have pain than Schroeder just in a vacuum uh, for, for what he does. Um, I I just say Aiton is my X factor for Phoenix. um, And for the Lakers, you can't pick James or Davis. So I guess I'll probably just go Kuzma because Maybe that's a way that you you know you get somebody hot, he makes some shots and that wins him a game. I don't know, um, but that's pretty bleak when Kuzma's your X factor.
1: Right. I mean, maybe he sees time running up against Book defensively too, which is that yeah. makes him huge. Yeah. Grant, this was great as always. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. I did not expect both of us to have the Suns beating the Lakers though. Maybe that's going to be a a more popular pick than I thought. I thought Suns in seven was the saucy selection, but perhaps it's not. Everyone, follow Grant on Twitter if you're not already, at GT underscore Hughes. Does a fantastic job covering the NBA at all levels for Bleacher Report. Until next time, leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, going to shift the tenor of the entire Hawks-Knicks series, Frank Neil <laughs>